glad to be here? Amen. That's right. We're called to worship God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. This song talks about all my life, how God has given us a life worth living. that you would just 
Continue to bless us today, Lord. We're glad that you are here with us. We're glad that you've given us the privilege of worshiping you, lifting our voices on high. We are so glad that we can love you, Lord, just daily from the inside out. And as we sing this next song, we pray that it will just let the world know how much that we adore and love you. You are worthy of all of our praise, Lord.
What a blessing to be here this morning. Man, was that some good music or what? Would you agree with me that we have a talented group of people up here that are leading worship? Would you, would you give it out for them? Man, I just love it every morning. Sunday morning, you get to come up here and hear that and uh, to be able to sing along. Man, if you're excited to be in God's house this morning, would you say amen? Now, one more time. Come on, let's give it up for God. Would you say amen? There we go. You know what? I'm excited to see you guys here with us. I have the privilege this morning to bring up our graduates, our seniors from high school and also from college and acknowledge them this morning. So if I can have my graduates go ahead and come on up this morning, guys. And as they're coming up, I just want to say to any of our helpers, if you were part of our pasta dinner, our fundraiser for camp yesterday, I just want to thank you, our cooks, those who served. We had many that stayed late and helped clean things up. And I just want to say thank you very much for doing that. Uh, also, you know what, if you weren't able to be a part of the pasta dinner or be able to come out and, and eat, but you'd still like to, to support the youth in some capacity, let me tell you this, we got plenty of leftovers, all right? So we're going to have some leftovers available, saucer and containers. We have some noodles and some uh, take-home bags and stuff like that that'll be out here in the lobby. If you'd like to get some and just donate something just to support our youth, we'll have some available. Or you might say, well, I don't want no noodles. I don't want no sauce. Well, you know what? Just write a check, fill it out to the youth, and put it in that offering box. And that way you can support your youth in going to camp this year because that's going to be a life-changing event that we don't want them to miss out on. So right now, let's go ahead and acknowledge our seniors this morning. We've got a good group right here. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Alex Baker right here. Alex Baker graduated from Bethel Park High School, and he plans to attend Washington and Jefferson College. Go ahead and give it up for Alex this morning. Also, we have Daniel Doby, who wasn't able to be here with us this morning, but he graduated from South Park High School. He plans to be moving to Virginia and will continue serving as a volunteer fireman. So go ahead and give it up for Daniel this morning. And then we have Jacob Henry Ford graduating from homeschool. He plans to attend California University of Pennsylvania this fall and will be majoring in environmental studies. Give it up for Jacob this morning. Also, we have Devin Payton graduating from Ringgold High School. She'll be moving to Virginia and plans to attend Lord Fairfax Community College in the fall. Give it up for Devin this morning. And now we have Allie. Allie Slagle graduating from Ringgold High School. She plans to attend Liberty University in the fall and is, a, is planning to study nursing. Give it up for Allie. Others that weren't able to be here with us this morning, but we want to acknowledge is Logan Zawaski, graduating from South Park High School. He plans to attend California University of Pennsylvania this fall and majoring in criminal justice. And then also we have Derek Jobes, who's graduating from Geneva College with honors in the degree with music education, and he plans to pursue a teaching career. So let's give it up for our graduates this morning. Guys, we are excited about the accomplishment that you have and what God has in store for your life. And you know what? We know that every single one of you have a great future ahead of you. So give it up one last time for our graduates. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Amen. Thank you so much. We love our graduates. Uh, it's so cool to, uh, to see them grow up in the church. You know, they start out real little running around, and then all of a sudden, just in the blink of an eye, uh, they're ready for life, and uh, 
we try to do our best to point them in the right direction. Uh, then when they get off into college, we hope they make the right decisions and we pray for them as they make that step out of high school into college or something else. We have a special guest with us this morning all the way from France, the country of France. Emily Nickenbacher is here. Emily, come on. Uh, she is one of our missionaries, and we became acquainted with Emily through Rebecca Boer. They're good friends. They met at Word of Life Bible Institute, and uh, that's a wonderful training place up there in Scroon Lake, New York, and she's going to tell us. Let's welcome her about their ministry. Good morning. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for the support you've provided uh, these last three years. And uh, secondly, I was supposed to speak in French. I'm going to say a few words in French for you. Uh, bonjour, je suis contente d'être ici et partager un peu avec vous ce que le Seigneur a fait en France cette année. How was that? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, as you can see, I am no longer alone on my picture. I got engaged last summer. And I am not officially in Nicaragua yet. I'm still Lawrence. I'm getting married July 11th. And uh, my fiancé also has a heart to serve the Lord in France and has a desire to see people come uh, to the Lord. So we've been serving together uh, already in the same city. So if you want to move on to the next slide, please. That city is called uh, La Rochette, and it's right on the western coast of France. Beautiful city with uh, the ocean and... I love it there. Uh, if you want to move on to the next slide, you'll see it more geographically where it's located. It's a very touristy town. People from Paris especially like to come down because they don't have to travel quite as far as all the way to southern France to get to the beach. Um, if you could move on to the next slide. Just a few fun facts about La Rochelle. Uh, La Rochelle has the biggest uh, marina in all of Europe. That means there's a lot of nice fancy boats, and I probably have a lot of very uh, wealthy neighbors, and I'm hoping someday I'll meet one of them and he'll take me out on his boat, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, the city of La Rochelle was also the first to do the bicycle path. Uh, in France, a lot of the cities will have a little path along the side of the car so you can ride your bike without fearing to get run over, and La Rochelle was the first city to implement that. We also have some very old graffiti there, we have a tower where prisoners were, lock, were locked up um, uh, years ago from different wars and different things, and they graffitied on the walls. So graffiti, I guess, has been a problem for years. And uh, it's, our rugby team is in the top league in France. They just made it last year, and there's a big, big event in the city of Rochelle. And if you were to go there, you see the rugby team symbol all over. They're very proud of the rugby team. Um, if you want to, yep, thank you. Um, our coworkers are the Nelsons. They um, they've been in France for about 20 years, and they have been pastoring the Church of La Rochelle for almost as long. And then the Corbels came and joined them a few years later. And for Jeremy and I, it was very important to work as in a team. And we've loved working with the Nelsons and the Corbels, and it's been uh, great to see God God work through that. Also, another thing that's been neat is since we've gotten there, they've been able to start a church plant in a city about 30 minutes away. And because Jeremy and I are there, they've been able to spend more time uh, helping out with the church plant. Uh, yep. And um, 
we've been building friendships is basically our ministry because people in France don't open up very easily and you have to gain the right to talk to them about personal things and uh, your faith is something very, very personal. So we build friendships in the church through spending time with the young adults. Uh, we've also had the charge of the youth group and uh, we've been, God has been, allowed us to have a few Bible studies with some different people and it's encouraging to see, see people growing in that way. If you could go on to the next one, please. And one thing that is very important to us is build relationships with unbelievers. And we have found that one of the best ways is through having a job because during the day, that's where people are. They're at work and we want to be where they're at. Uh, so Jeremy works at a job that's kind of like uh, Lowe's here in the States. And I worked in a clothing store and God was uh, faithful and I was able to share the gospel with almost every single one of my coworkers. And... Um, we were able to start also an English club because in France, English is used a lot for business or in school and different things, and people need to practice speaking English. They're usually okay at writing it, but speaking it, they have a hard time. So this is an opportunity for people to just come out once every two weeks, and we just speak in English, and it's a time where they can kind of relax, not have the pressure of having the, their English right, and just kind of enjoy getting to know other people who are also interested in learning more English. And uh, you see Baptiste and Floridis on the bottom picture. They're uh, unbelievers that we've been able to build a good friendship with. Uh, I exercise regularly with Flori, and just uh, yesterday Jeremy was playing basketball with Baptiste. So we just spend time with them, and we've been able to talk to them a couple times um, about Christ. If you want to go on to the last one, please. Um, the prayer, just prayer requesters, just simply pray for the church, pray for the believers there. Uh, the church in Arusha and the church plant uh, that's in Rochefort. Pray that God will give us more, I guess you can say friends, and more people that we can share Christ with, and that he'll give us opportunities to, to speak of him. And then pray for Jeremy and I as we get married, and that God will use us together for his glory. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Emily. We're so excited about what the Lord is doing in their ministry in France. You know, they have to minister differently than we do. You know, in our country, we can go up to somebody and talk them to them about Jesus very easily and almost present the gospel. But there, they have to like uh, work and build relationships, and it takes time. And and uh, but boy, thank God for the great missionaries that we have over there doing this work. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you this morning and pull out our little black friendship folder. If you'd be so kind to put your name on there and your information next to it, give it to the person sitting uh, nearby. We'll appreciate that a lot today. We, uh, that helps us to be able to minister to you, our congregation. Inside your Sunday courier this morning, we have our summer prayer list, and we rely upon this every summer. This is important to our ministry. You know, a lot of churches kind of give up in the summer. They, they raise the white flag of surrender, and they say, well, we'll see everybody in the fall. Uh, not our church. Uh, we want to go full out as hard as we can throughout the summer because the summer provides us with opportunities that other times we don't have. And on the back of your prayer list, we have some of those opportunities. You know, we have Vacation Bible School, which is always a big thing here in our community. Uh, we have these 
uh, summer movies, which uh, many people attended last year. We're going to do it again this year. Actually, we have some people coming to our church that were, first of all, introduced to our church through that, uh, through that outreach. Also, we're praying that God will provide funds for our parking lot. You know, a church like this, we're, everybody uses our facilities up here. The community uses our facilities. We use them morning and night throughout the whole week. And uh, a good parking space is a real necessity for churches today. Uh, ours has been leaving us for a few years, waving goodbye gradually. Uh, we feel that it'll probably cost about $200,000 to do. That's an awful lot of money that we don't have. And so I'm asking you, our congregation, to be in prayer. Ask the Lord to open up the windows of heaven from somewhere and provide... Uh, this parking facility that we need to function as a, as a church in our community. That's just what we're praying about. And then all these things on the front, which are important. God, guard our quiet time throughout the summer. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. After praying the list, we're going to start this tomorrow, June, July, and August. Uh, if you've never done it, I want to encourage you to sign on. It'll be a blessing for you. Put this in your Bible. Use it at your quiet time. And this morning you have that little piece of paper in your Sunday courier. And on that line, I'd like to ask you to put your name. That means that, that you'll do the best you can, June, July, and August, uh, to pray through all of these things that are important to our ministry. Uh, as soon as I get your name, our secretary, Diane Mussey, will put your name on a master list for me, my prayer list. And I promise to pray for you June, July, and August by name. And my prayer for you will be that God will guard your quiet time throughout the summer, that it'll help you to stay focused spiritually so that you can be strong. And so uh, I hope that you'll do that today. If you haven't already signed up, put your name on that little piece of paper, drop it in the offering plate as it comes by. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you each week for your help in the ministry. It makes everything possible from a financial standpoint for us to move our ministry forward and to have a strong church up here on this hill and in this community. And I thank you in advance for your love and your commitment to the church financially. Let's thank God now that he's provided these funds. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us a, a job, a, a place to go to work, uh, a mind to be able to do our work, bodies to, to perform the function of it. We know this is all from you, Lord. And so now we come back as a church to render back to you a portion of our income. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we render these gifts to you to be used for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. the cost salvation complete now forever I'm free Calvary covers it all Calvary covers 
band. Thank you, Emily. Good morning to everyone. Thank you, Dan. Have you ever said, I will never? There's a commercial by State Farm Insurance that capitalizes on that very statement. Let's take a look at it. Never getting married. Never. Guaranteed. You picked a beautiful ring. Thank you. <laughs> We're never having kids. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> bit here. We are never moving to the suburbs. We are never getting one of those. We are never having another kid. I'm pregnant. I'm never letting go. For all the nevers in life, State Farm is there. I will never. When the, in Acts chapter 9, there are individuals and groups of people who had some of those very thoughts that they would never. If you have your Bible with you today, or phone, or tablet, turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 7 with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I'd like you to notice today that Saul was determined to destroy the way. Saul was passionate about the mission he was on. He had been there when Stephen was stoned to death. In fact, the words that Stephen spoke before and during his martyrdom seemed to spur Saul on to renewed efforts in stamping out Christianity. He thought he was helping God by persecuting the followers of Christ who made up the early church. In verses 1 and 2, we read, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He may have stated the following reasons for his determination to destroy the way. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. He was crucified, and according to the scriptures, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. So how could Jesus be the Messiah? The followers of Jesus are claiming that Jesus is alive and doing great miracles through them. Their power comes from Satan, and I must destroy this dangerous group before it brings destruction on the, our historic Jewish faith. Fortunate for Saul, but unfortunate for the disciples and believers in Damascus, Rome recognized extradition when the high priest in Jerusalem demanded it. Warren Wiersbe wrote the following, Damascus had a large Jewish population, and it has been estimated that there could have been 30 to 40 synagogues in the city. The fact that there were already believers there indicates how effective the church had been in getting out the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of the believers may have fled the persecution in Jerusalem, which explains why Paul wanted authority to bring them back. Saul would have said, I will never become a follower of Jesus Christ. How about you? You may have said those words in the past, and it could be that today you still are saying those words. I will never become one of those Jesus followers. Next, I want you to notice that Jesus confronted Saul's belief system. This account of Saul of Tarsus is given in the book of Acts three times. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. Saul pursued a righteous life. He desired to follow the law. He had a high regard for the temple, and he aligned himself with the teachings and traditions of the religious fathers. In verses 4 and 5 we read, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I want us to notice a video clip from the AD series, which sort of tries to illustrate what it may have been like. 
Why do you persecute me? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. of Saul's 150-mile journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. When he sees a bright light shine all around him, he falls to the ground and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This statement shows Christ's union with his church because he did not say, why are you persecuting my church? But why are you persecuting me? Saul responds, who are you, Lord? Even though he did not recognize the one speaking to him as Jesus, he did recognize the presence of a supernatural being. Jesus responded, I am Jesus. In Acts chapter 26, verse 16 and 18, we read, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me." In a commentary by Woolward and Zuck, we are told, Saul both heard the voice of the Lord Jesus and he saw him. Although there is no exclusive statement of Saul seeing Christ, it is implicit in the reference to a light from heaven. Also, it is fundamental to Saul's apostleship that he saw the resurrected Lord. Saul came to Christ on the road leading to Damascus. He was justified by faith in Christ. He was declared righteous by the Lord. What he heard from Jesus to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, he also experienced. On the Damascus road, Paul experienced new life in Jesus Christ. He experienced the forgiveness of sins. 
he experienced his unconditional and overwhelming love. We're told, but for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. All that Paul had done, which he thought was so good for the Lord, for Yahweh himself, he discovered wasn't good enough. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. J. Oswald Sanders stated the following. He said, a friend once remarked to me, isn't it a humbling thing to see one's own faults running around on two little legs? When we see them embodied in someone else, our faults become painfully obvious to us. The Lord was careful to allow men and women mentioned in the Bible to be seen as they really were, warts and all. Saul was encountered with the reality that Jesus was actually alive. If Jesus was alive, then Saul had to change his mind about Jesus and his message. He had to repent. He had to turn from self and sin, a difficult thing for a self-righteous Pharisee to do. And he was a sinner who was in danger of God's judgment. Saul thought he had been serving God, when in reality he had been persecuting the Messiah. When measured by the holiness of Jesus Christ, Saul's good works and legalistic self-righteousness could not measure up. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 tells us, But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousness is like filthy rags. Isn't it incredible that the same Saul, who was filled with hatred and anger as he traveled the road to Damascus, with the resolve to persecute and destroy the followers of Jesus Christ, was confronted by Jesus, not in wrath and in vengeance, but in boundless, unconditional love, full of grace and mercy. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another way of saying this is that all have sinned and come short of His glorious standard. We, like Saul, are all in need of Jesus to declare us righteous before God. The bright light disappears, and the men who were with Saul were confused. They could see a bright light, hear words, but could not distinguish them, and had witnessed Saul carrying on a conversation. But with who? Have you ever been in your car, and you look to the right side or to the left side, and you see somebody carrying on a conversation, but there's nobody in the car with them? Have you ever been in the store, and you not only get to see somebody in the aisle, but... You all get, so get to hear their conversation. All the wonders of hands-free phone and Bluetooth. We live in that day where we can experience people carrying on a conversation. Oftentimes it's with somebody. We just can't see them. The companions of Saul experience Saul carrying on a conversation. But they sure did not know who it was through or with. Saul rose from the ground, but to his dismay, he was blind. The one strong, courageous, 
arrogant and proud man who had been leading the charge to destroy the church was left humbled and broken. His companions led him to Damascus and arranged for a lodging for him at the house of Judas, located on the main street called Straight. Saul spends the next three days in prayer and he chooses not to eat as he no doubt started to sort out what he really believed. He had been saved by grace, not by the law, through faith in Christ, the living Christ. In addition, Saul had a vision of one named Ananias coming to him and laying his hands on him. Although he did not have full understanding of what would happen, it appeared that his sight would be restored. I want us next to notice that Ananias overcame his fear and trusted the Lord. The followers of Christ had been warned about the coming of Saul and were aware of the danger he posed to their safety and to their well-being. Ananias receives a vision from the Lord that he is to go to the house of Judas on the street called Straight to locate Saul of Tarsus. Notice his response in verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Lord, you've got to be kidding me. This man has been destroying. This man has been persecuting the very people who love you. And you want me to go to him? You want me to minister to him? Ananias followed the Lord's lead, and he followed his instructions. We're told he went to Judas's house. We're told that he greeted Saul with those words, Brother Saul. He accepted him into the body of believers. He laid his hands on him, and we're told that it's as if scales dropped from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Saul received great comfort that day. The next thing he did, he followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Pretty amazing. The very one who was against all of this was now joining in on everything. But Ananias took a great risk by going to Saul. I believe he had a little understanding of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. But whosoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The Lord tells us when we have a fear of men, it'll be a snare to us. It'll be a trap to us. It will cause us oftentimes to do, to not do what he would have us to do. It will cause us to freeze it will cause us to be exactly what I just did. Quieted. Without the ability to speak. Without the ability to move as we should. But the Lord says, although the fair man does that, when we trust in Him, we will be safe. Ananias probably would have said, I will never have the courage to go to someone like Saul. Can you imagine that? But what about you today? 
Has fear ever kept you from sharing your faith in Christ? Has fear ever kept you from sharing your story? Has fear ever kept you from acting on a promise from the Lord? Has fear ever kept you? I'm sure if we were honest, we have all been there. Because fear has done that to all of us. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you have a story. You may think that your story isn't much. You may think, I came to Jesus when I was just a young person, so how much of a story do I have to proclaim? Well, I want you to know, if Jesus is your Savior, you have an incredible story. Because you came to faith in Christ. You received His forgiveness and His love. You may be here today and you think, my story is marred and tattered. What good could that do? You have a story. And the very story that you have can be used to change lives like you never thought. I want us next to notice that Saul was compelled to preach the good news. Can you imagine the very one who was against the good news is all in? The very one who wanted to destroy those who were proclaiming the good news is now a part of it, and he's wanting to proclaim it. He's wanting to exalt Jesus Christ, the very one he had been persecuting. In verse 20 we read, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. No hesitation. He wanted the word out. In verse 21, we read, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the, he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Is this that very one? He had a life change. And they knew about it. They were able to recognize it. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. God was just allowing Paul to see that what he had read and knew about the Scriptures, it was about the Messiah. He was able to prove from what he had learned in the past and what he had experienced, it was all part of God's plan. The Messiah had come. Emmanuel, God with us, to redeem mankind from their sins, to set them free. During this time, some people believe, Ed Heinsen has said that he, some people have said that Paul, or Saul, rather, went into Arabia for 40 days. Others have thought that he went into Arabia for four, 30 years, th- three years, sorry, not 30 years. Three years, And while he was in Arabia, he was under the Lord's tutelage. He was learning at the hand of God. From the scriptures to the present. God was teaching Paul in a way that you and I may never be taught. God was formulating in Saul's life what it was really all about. Remember, God had told Saul, Saul, I'm going to send you to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. There's a big mission 
And the Lord had a way of preparing Paul for that mission. Not only was he compelled to preach the good news, we're told that Barnabas encouraged Saul and the disciples of Jesus Christ. Saul had gone back into Damascus. The Jews wanted to kill him. The disciples led him by way of a basket so he could escape the city. And he went to Jerusalem expecting to receive the blessing from the disciples. But we read in verse 26 and 27, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. After all, they knew Saul was out to persecute the church. They knew Saul wanted to destroy lives. And Saul expected them to just embrace him. No way. They did not believe who he was. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas said, Saul, I believe you. I believe that you have met the Lord. I believe he's changed your heart and your mind. I believe you have a new life. Come on with me. I'll take you to the disciples. And that's what took place. And because of Barnabas being the encourager, they accepted him in to their fellowship. When we are confronted by Jesus, we can resist or we can run. We can resist what he's trying to show us. He's, we can resist what he's wanting us to do. Or we can simply just run. Go away. Sometimes we think if we will just move away, everything's going to be okay. Or we can recognize our need and rest in him. As Jesus confronted Saul's belief system, his opposition and hard heart toward the way was shattered. His heart melted before the Lord. How about you? Has Jesus confronted you? Don't allow your hurts, your hang-ups, or your addictive habits to stand in the way of His amazing love and forgiveness. The ordinary Ananias overcame his fear and trusted the Lord, becoming an impact player in the extraordinary life of Saul. God so oftentimes uses ordinary lives to touch other lives that will be used in extraordinary ways. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist in Europe and in the United States. Very few people even realize who led him to Christ. Billy Graham went on to do great crusades. Very few people realize who led him to Christ. Dr. Philip Arabon who started the Good Shepherd Fold Orphanage in 1947 who's literally been used to save the lives of counselless children and our church supports them nobody knows who is instrumental in touching his life. In fact, he has foster parents, or he had foster parents in the United States who supported him through Wheaton College. Nobody even knows who those people were. Some of you have taught Sunday school. You've worked with the youth, and some of you are still doing that. You've worked in different ways, and you've thought, 
I'm not really accomplishing much. I'm just me. Well, guess what? I tend to believe that God has used you and He'll continue to use you to touch lives. And heaven only knows those extraordinary lives your life has been a part of. The disciples of Christ embraced a new member of Team Jesus and experienced His transforming power in a life they considered their number one enemy. When we recognize we are powerless on our own, we are able to take action steps for Christ in ways we could have thought impossible. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're here today and if you've never come to that place of faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today to take that step. Receive His complete forgiveness. Receive His unconditional love. Become a part of the family of God. And if you're here today and maybe you have thought in your life, I will never be able to share my faith with that person. I will never be able to serve in this ministry in a, in a certain way. I want you to take that step. Rest in His power. Rest in His ability. Rest in His confidence and courage. Let's pray. If you're here tonight, today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you would like to do that, I'm going to ask that you'd pray with me. Dear Jesus, I know I have sinned. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Help me, Jesus, like Saul, to live for you the rest of my life. And if you're here today and maybe the Lord has been confronting you about some things, I'm going to ask you to take steps in His direction. It may mean that you have to overcome your fear and trust Him. As the worship band sings, I'd like to request everyone to please stand.
gracious to forgive us by your power we've been set free and Lord we stand amazed in your presence astounded by your mercy and love our hands are lifted high in surrender your grace for me is always enough and there is no one higher than our God there is no one higher than you majestic in wonder you reign in love forever there's no one higher than Your splendor, your glory knows no measure. There's no one higher than.